you're listening to another inspirational message from Bell Road Church. If you live in the North Phoenix area and are looking for a church community, we'd love to have you join us. It's a great place for the whole family where you can have fun and grow closer to Jesus. For more information, visit us at www.bellroadchurch.com. Well, hey, hopefully you got your Bibles. And if you do, I'd love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let's dive right into the Word. Is that okay? Let's go right into this. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to continue on in our journey through the letter of Philippians. And this is a good section we're going to look at. I think you're going to learn some things here. And so what I'm going to do in these next few moments is I'm actually going to put my teaching hat on here, if that's okay. Just kind of teach for a little bit. And so I'm hoping that you're eager and ready to go deep and to learn and to grow. Because every time we go get into God's word, I think there's something for us. You believe that? So we're going to go into Philippians chapter 3 in this section here. We're going to start at verse uh, 17. This section here, Paul uh, has a stern warning for believers, but he also has some encouragement and a reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus. And I think those are things that we need every day. We need a little encouragement every day, don't we? We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. Hey, in, in Jesus, there's always hope. Amen? There's hope today, and there's hope for eternity in Jesus. But it's also good for us to have a little bit of warning, sometimes even maybe a loving rebuke. That's okay for us to get too, right? So we're going to get all of that in this passage here. So let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. It's on page 1036, in case you're still looking for it. Join with others in following my example, Paul says, to the brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is an interesting and fun passage that we're going to walk through here. And what you see is there's really two groups of people that Paul's talking to. The first group is those that he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. Did you catch that? Did you pick that up in there? Okay, side note, you don't want to be included in that segment of people. The second group of people I would describe as someone who's worth imitating, who will experience the transformation into a glorious body in the end. That's the group of people you and I want to identify with, right? right. So let's, let's walk through this here and go back to verse 17. I just, like I said, I want to put on my teaching hat and help us understand a little bit. We, there's, on, on any Sunday, there's no way we could ever learn everything about all this stuff. It's amazing how when you really dive into Scripture, how much you can really learn as you go into the Greek and you study this and you cross-reference thing. You, know, it's, you, you want to make sure that you allow the Bible to interpret the Bible and you cross-reference things. And it's, it's, there's so much that I learn every week, and so then I have to give you like a tenth of it. So I'm going to give you about a tenth of it here. So uh, verse 17, let's look at this again. It says, join with others in following my example. 
So remember, at this time, this day and age, they didn't really have a Bible like we have. In fact, the Gospels likely have not even been written as this letter to the Philippians begins to be circulated. Luke was probably the first gospel that was ever written, and it was probably written in the next year or two after this. So they don't even have the gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament that describe the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So those aren't even in circulation. They don't have a Bible. And so in a sense, Paul is, you know, they're starting to circulate some letters, but Paul is saying, hey, follow my example. And he goes on, you know, to, to mention, hey, you know, these, these teachings, this, these things that I've taught you, you could you remember those, but follow my example. And he's, he says the same thing, actually, to the church in Corinth, and it's recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I just love the confidence that Paul has here. Now, keep in mind, he knows he's not perfect. He knows he hasn't arrived. We just went over that last week and the, the previous verses we went through in this chapter of Philippians. He's like, I press on. I want to take hold of, of Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to gain him. I want to know him. So I press on after Jesus. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm still pressing on. And so Paul understands I'm still in process. But even in this, he's saying, hey, follow my example. I'm not perfect, but you can follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the goal, by the way. We're called to go after him, to live like him. In fact, that's why we have that as a part of our mission statement here at Bell Road Church. We want to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him. That's our hope. That's our heart. That's our mission. That's what we want to be all about here. So we want to live like Jesus. What does that mean? And we'll be talking about this more in the coming months, but it's important for you and I to get all up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read those gospels and learn all about who Jesus is and how he lived so that you and I can live like him. The closer you and I get to him, the more we can live like him. In fact, the goal is that you and I would become more and more like him, that we'd be transformed into his image. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, he says, we are being transformed into his image, speaking of, of Jesus. And this is the goal. God wants to transform us from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus. And so as Paul is pursuing this, he's saying, hey, follow my example. I'm following Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together. And you can, you can imitate my way of life. And I hope that you and I would all be able to say this. I think when you read verses like this, it's important for us to not just say, oh, that's good. Paul can say that. I think we want to say, I want to be able to say the same thing. I know I'm not perfect, but hey, follow my example. What kind of follower of Jesus would a new Christian become if he or she were to imitate you and follow your example? Just something for us to think about, right? All right, let's move it on here into verse 18. Let's look at this again. It says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Those are some interesting words that Paul is writing there. I think it should cause us to just pause and recognize Paul is weeping as he is writing these words. This appears to be a really, really big deal. The fact that tears are coming down, as he's saying, I've talked about this before, and even now as I mention it again, I got tears coming down. So you know, this is a big deal. And what is a big deal? 
he is talking to Christians, people who profess to be followers of Jesus, and he's saying, you're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. And that's, that's a big call out, isn't it? And so as you read words like this, I think it's important for us to pause and say, Jesus, I don't ever want to be like that. It'd be easy for us to say, man, shame on them. That's a bummer for them. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, Good job, Paul. Way to call them out. But I think we need to oftentimes internalize these, these things and say, Jesus, please don't ever allow me to get to the place where I would be an enemy of the cross of Christ. I want to be a friend of the cross of Christ. Paul is moved so deeply about this as he's writing this or even have someone else scribe this, transcribe it for him, that tears are coming down. It is that big of a deal. And he's speaking to people that are allowing their their passions and their desires, really their sinful desires, to outweigh their passion for Jesus. And so he's saying, hey, their their, their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction. And, And he's not talking about just food here, as he talks about stomach here. It's not like, hey, you know those people that eat the wrong food. Like, they go to Taco Bell. Shame on you for eating at Taco. We know it's bad. You know where people are going to go that eat Taco Bell. And there's no firefighters there, friend. Especially after 10 o'clock, don't you dare go to Taco Bell after 10 o'clock, right? You know, he's not talking about food we eat or where we go. He's talking about these passions that we have, these desires that we are trying to fill our life with. And he's talking to believers again. Christians who should have a love and a passion for Jesus, but for whatever reasons, their passions are pulling them away from Jesus, and they're allowing certain things to become idols in their life. And Paul is saying their destiny is destruction. Hey, that can happen to us, guys. Anything can become an idol to us. It's good to enjoy things. We want to enjoy life. And this this gift of life that God has given us, that is awesome. But anything we put above God becomes an idol and it pulls us away from God and it hinders us in our relationship with him. And that's what Paul is speaking to here. And even more specifically, he is addressing sexual immorality that is in the church. And these uh, Epicureans who believe that, hey, I'm saved, but whatever I do in the body doesn't matter because I'm saved spiritually. My physical body, I can do whatever. I can please myself physically and I can do all the sexual immoral things that I want because it doesn't matter. I'm just saved and forgiven. That teaching was, was widespread into the church. And so it's important that we don't allow ourselves to go there. And let's be real, sexual immorality is in the church today. And we gotta say, God, help me. I don't wanna allow my passions to go to those things and pull me away from you. I know holiness is not a popular topic, but I think it needs to be a passion of our heart that we would long for holiness. We would long to be like Jesus and be as close to him as we possibly can. I pray constantly for revival of holiness. That would be something we chase after. It's what we're called to do. Jesus has called us to be holy, to be set apart. That's the whole process of sanctification. You know, that big theological word that speaks to our spiritual growth. It literally means, sanctify means to be set apart. And we will want to do this when we absolutely love Jesus. That's what Paul, Paul's been talking about this. Like, I press on. My passion is Jesus. I want to know him. I want to be in him. You can see this love that he has for Jesus, right? And so when we have this love for Jesus, we want nothing more than to be close to him and to pursue him and to be holy like him. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so we got to understand what the heart behind that is. It's not like, hey, prove to me that you love me by doing what I tell you. 
That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you really love me, you're just going to, out of that love, you're going to want to obey me. It's going to come naturally because your love is so strong. That's the heart behind that. And so you get this, this impression from Paul that, man, going after Jesus is a big deal. Putting him first in our life, it, it should consume us. Like following Jesus is a full-time deal. That's kind of the impression you get from Paul. It really matters. He even says to the Thessalonians, he says, say this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's everything about you, spirit, soul, and body. Be full of Jesus. And that, that word sanctify is in there, right? Okay, sanctify. Remember, we're set apart for God's holy purposes to be like him and to be close to him. That's what God wants to do. And so I pray that we would have a passion for Jesus, a love for him above everything else so that our stomach, our desires would not be our God and destruction would not be our destiny. Okay, let's dive into verse 20 here because now it's getting good. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that you, as a follower of Jesus, are a citizen of heaven. It's important that we know that. It's important we understand what that means and the significance of that. That means you and I are citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And to fully understand this whole citizenship thing is to really understand what the gospel is. And this gospel that Jesus came to proclaim, because we've got to know this, the, the gospel that we believe is the gospel that we live. Whatever gospel I believe determines how I live and follow Jesus. So I want to take a few moments and talk about the gospel because it's important that you and I understand what the gospel is. If someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, I've heard Christians talk about the gospel. I've heard it said in church. Like, what's the gospel? What would you say to that? How would you answer that? You got one minute. What would you do? I actually did that to our leadership team and some of even our young adult leaders Two years ago, I said, hey, guys, let's do it right now. Little, little pop quiz. Write down what the gospel is. And it was fascinating to see their answers. We struggled. And I thought, dear God, if our leaders can't articulate the gospel, Lord, forgive us and help us. We need to understand what the gospel is. So I want to talk about the gospel. And I want to give us some good maybe background and teaching on what is being taught in regards to the gospel these days? There is actually seven, maybe eight different types of gospels that you and I could find ourselves following and believing. So let's, let's, let's walk through these. I think you're going you're gonna to learn from this. This is going to help you here. So seven gospels being proclaimed today. Number one is the forgiveness-only gospel. I think this is the most popular gospel that's being taught today. It's popular because it's simple. Basically, you have... Just the, the minimum requirements to get forgiveness from Jesus and punch your ticket to heaven. All you got to do is pray this simple little prayer and you're good. And then you can just do whatever you want. Okay, it's the forgiveness only gospel. And unfortunately, as you can tell, it leaves out very important parts of the Christian life like obedience and repentance and true discipleship. You and I being followers of Jesus, really trying to be close to him and, and walking with him. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said about this. He said, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. So 
Forgiveness is real, true, and great, and amazing, but we can't stop there, okay? But that's the forgiveness-only gospel, probably the most popular one that many of us find ourselves believing and living to. The second one is the consumer gospel. And can I just be real? I hate this one more than any of the other ones. This one just chaps my hide. I I don't know if I've ever said that in my entire life. But this one really, really bothers me. It's another very popular one. You won't necessarily hear it preached so much, but you find us living this way as Christians in this country. The consumer gospel promises that God will meet all your needs and he'll do it in your timeline within your busy schedule. And God would never have the nerve to ask you to do too much or to get too involved because you're busy and you got things to do and responsibilities in your life. Christians fall prey to this gospel, unfortunately, and we think that Jesus exists to meet my needs. I think this is the biggest threat to the church in our country today. It's consumerism. We understand we live in a very consumeristic culture. Unfortunately, consumerism has creeped into our Christianity. Consumerism has creeped into the the church. Bill Hull, who's a a pastor and a discipleship guru, speaking of this consumer gospel, he said this. He says, this gospel creates disciples who shop for a church until they find one that meets their needs. When something happens or is taught that they don't agree with or that causes them pain, they move on because they believe that pain, repentance, and difficulty are never God's will. Our enemy does not fear a gospel designed to meet our selfish needs. See, when we live according to this gospel, we find ourselves measuring our spirituality based upon how we felt about the Sunday morning service. (laughs) And that's like, oh, I'm good because Sunday was good, you know, and then hopefully next Sunday is good again so I can continue to be good. And if it was bad and if I gave it bad grades, then I'll move on to another place that makes me feel good about my spiritual life. We can go there and that's unfortunate. This is consumerism creeped into my relationship with Jesus. And when we live out this gospel, what we miss out on is a deep transformative work that God wants to do in our life and in our hearts, which is so painful at times, but so powerful and beautiful. Number three, we'd call this the the left gospel or liberalism. This gospel goes deeper than you might think of it today. Again, we're 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 just kind of doing a flyover of all these, so we're not going to go into detail, but it's been around for 100 years at least. It's always had a a focus on helping the needy, which is a good thing. Today, it can have roots in liberal politics, but doesn't have to. It's more really about liberal theology than anything else. And so what happens is in this type of gospel, it makes accommodations within the Bible and certain doctrines, and it accommodates to kind of open the door a little bit more so people will more widely accept the Bible and its teachings, and it will kind of put away from old-fashioned, narrow-minded doctrine. It can end up in tough places. I, I would say bad places theologically, like, hey, no one's going to hell except for maybe Hitler because, like, he's Hitler. Or maybe even that there isn't even a hell. But then there's, on the other side of that, there's the, the right gospel, or what you call it the religious right gospel. This gospel tends to prioritize right doctrine and, and can advocate a separation from culture. The result can be disciples of Jesus who live a separate life from those they're actually trying to reach for Jesus. Adherence to this gospel, unfortunately, can lead to right doctrine over right living. 
It's all about having the right doctrine. And how dare you go to that church? Do you understand their doctrine? And it's doctrine even above living. Now, good doctrine is very important. But we got to live out this love, this life of love that Jesus has called us to live. That's, that's even more important. All right? So then number five, I would call it the prosperity gospel. You heard of this one? This gospel teaches that God guarantees you health and wealth as long as you have enough faith and you practice uh, several biblical principles. It's the prosperity gospel. The unfortunate thing about this is it can lead to a sense of entitlement. And it can even lead to even different theologies like, maybe you've heard this before, name it and claim it. So all you got to do, name it and claim it, and then Jesus will give it to you. That has done a lot of damage and hurt a lot of people and pushed a lot of people away from Jesus. But it's entitlement. This is kind of similar to this consumerism gospel where we make God out to serve our agenda, our wants, our needs, our desires, right? So God does not exist for us. We exist for him. This gospel forgets suffering and pain are a part of life. And God, yes, God does want to bless us. We need to understand that. He does want to bless us, but he's more concerned about the transformation in our hearts and on the inside of us than he is about giving us a bigger paycheck, a nicer car, and a bigger house. Okay, so it's important for us to understand that. All right, now let's go on to one more here. We would call this the social justice gospel. This gospel emphasizes a need to serve the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the strangers, which again... Very good, right? Very important. This gospel is passionate to serve people and fight for causes, but what happens is some people just get all over this and it becomes their gospel and it tends to neglect what I would say is the greatest injustice on planet Earth. The greatest injustice is spiritual poverty. The fact that people would go and live a life and not know Jesus, and then die and spend eternity apart from Jesus because they never knew him, that is the greatest injustice on planet Earth, friends. It is such a good thing. I'm all for supporting organizations that are digging wells and bringing water to people. That's awesome. Organizations that are rescuing girls from human trafficking. We need more of that today. Okay, building homes in other countries, there's so many good things we can do, but if we only do those things and help people in this life and don't impact their eternity, then, then we're missing out on the full gospel. It is so important that we also are speaking of Jesus and leading people into a relationship with him so we don't just impact their life now and just in this life, but we impact their eternal life. That's our hope. So as, you, as we walk through all those gospels, you can see there are Good truths in all of those. Even the one I don't like, the consumer gospel at all, there's at least, it will talk about forgiveness. God forgive you. So there's truths in all of those, okay, because the gospel does speak of forgiveness. We want to have good doctrine. We, we do pray for people to be healed. We do see healings. God wants to bless us, okay? It's good to help the needy and the poor. It's good to serve people, to be involved in social justice issues, that is the heart of God, but all of these things are really just portions of the gospel. Our gospel has to always center around Jesus, has to center around King Jesus and leading people and pointing people to serve and follow him. And so I want to define what the gospel really is, really the gospel that Jesus preached. 
Before I do, let's just pause here for a moment because I think this is, this is a good season in our life or in our country to pause. We would all agree it is good for people to be involved in social justice. Justice is definitely the heart of God. But is it okay for believers to be involved in politics? Is that okay? And probably we would all say yes, unless you really despise politics, which maybe you do, and that's, that's okay. Um, but a lot of us would say, yes, it's okay. And if we're really honest, we'd say yes, as long as they agree with me. <laughs> right? <laughs> but definitely, it's okay. I think all believers should be as informed as, impo- as possible and at least exercise the right to vote, at the very least. But some people are really called to get into politics, to help influence policies. That is their passion and perhaps their calling, and we need believers in that arena of our society as well. And so that is a good thing. But politics, it's an interesting thing because it's very emotional, isn't it? Especially right now. Every election year, it gets very emotion, emotional. I've heard many families throughout the years say, hey, you don't bring up politics around our dinner table because that's all out war. And that's a bummer because I feel like we should learn the ability to talk about this in a healthy way and have discussions. Oh, you think that's interesting. Tell me why you think that. Okay. And I think that if, if my identity is, is really grounded in Jesus, I can hear an opposing viewpoint and not feel like it's a personal attack on me. Yeah, amen. Honestly, it's like my identity is in Jesus, not in my opinion. Yeah. And so, but, but that's where it gets all emotional. We, sometimes we've put ourselves in our opinions. We've got to be careful with that, friends. We want to learn to have good, healthy conversations about this. Nonetheless, it can be very difficult, especially in seasons like this. Man, I'll never forget having this conversation with a friend of mine. This friend moved into our country four and a half years ago, so right at the beginning of an election year. And he watched our country go through this and, you know, living in the country for the first time, being a part of it. And it was like, he, you know, he thought it was just crazy. And a couple years after that, after living here for a couple years, he and I had a conversation. He's like, Tyrone, how, do you ta- how can you live in this country? How do you handle this? this is, I can't even handle this. The, the political climate of your country is, is awful. And he was disappointed. He was, I think he even disappointed in Christians. He was confused. He just, and he really honestly wanted to talk about it. I could just tell. He's like, how do you handle this? What do you do, Tyrone? And I'm like, that's a great question. And so I said, here's, here's how I handle this. This is what I do, okay? I try to stay as informed as possible. Yes, I vote, but my priority is the kingdom of God. And I lean into the kingdom of God more than anything else. That's why I'm talking about this all right now, because I think Paul would remind us in this season right now, don't forget where your citizenship is. You have a citizenship in heaven, and that takes precedence over any other citizenship in your life. So he's speaking to people in Philippi who are proud Roman citizens. They have a lot of rights and privileges because they are Roman citizens. And he's wanting to remind them, hey, don't forget, believers, you are citizens of a higher kingdom. You are citizens of heaven. That's why I bring this up right now, because it's important for us to remember in this day and age, in an election year, where our citizenship is, really. In fact, if we were honest, we could probably... uh, Add one more gospel. We could add the political gospel, right? That can become a gospel for people and where we put like our nationalism and our political affiliation on equal grounds with our Christianity. That's a scary thing to do too. 
And again, I'm not against nationalism and, and getting involved in politics. I think that's great. I love my country. I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. And I guess I love that song. I, you, know, you remember that song? I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died to give that right for me, and I'll proudly stand up. You know, and I've heard that song, and I've just cried, and like, yes, I love my country. It's great, you know. So uh, there's a lot of great countries out there in our world, though. Just don't forget that, too. But our primary focus needs to be our citizenship in heaven. And the reason I talk about all of this is because, again, the gospel we believe is a gospel we live. So let's talk about the gospel that's really important for us to live out, and it is called the kingdom gospel. This is really what Jesus proclaimed. He began to teach the kingdom is here. This is what he said in Matthew 4 the beginning of his ministry, and then on, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A couple chapters later, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This has got to be a part of our prayer life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then later on, that same chapter, seek first his, the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. And then he sends out the disciples, and this is what he says to them, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what Jesus was saying is the kingdom's here. The kingdom of heaven is not a someday when I die and step into eternity. The kingdom of heaven is here now. When you and I step into a relationship with Jesus, we are stepping into his kingdom. I am now a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's important that we understand that. That's the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim and preach. And that's the gospel that we want to preach here. It's a kingdom gospel. Jesus talked more about the kingdom than anything else in his ministry. That's the number one thing he talked about, the kingdom, the kingdom. It's here. It's near. It's at hand. Pray for the kingdom to come. It's all about the kingdom. So it's important for us to understand what that means. What is the kingdom gospel? The kingdom gospel recognizes that the rule and reign of Jesus over everything. The kingdom gospel recognizes the rule and reign of Jesus in my life. Like I accept the forgiveness and the grace of God. And then I commit to following him. I want to serve him and walk with him. I want to walk in obedience out of love for him. I'm laying down my rights as I serve Jesus. I exist for him. He doesn't exist for me. I recognize he is my savior and my Lord. And we got to understand now as a part of the kingdom of heaven, I'm a part of of a kingship, not a democracy. We're used to a democracy, aren't we? The kingdom of, of God is a kingship. It's not a democracy. There's one king. There's one ruler. It is Jesus. He's a perfect king, though. So the kingdom's perfect, thankfully. It works because the king is perfect. And so I want to trust him and follow him and give him everything my whole life. So here's, here's five words to help you remember what the kingdom gospel is. If you've been part of Disciple Maker last fall, you, you heard this. If you've ever been in our Discover BRC class, you, you've heard this. Uh, but five words to help us know, what is the gospel? Because again, if someone were to ask you, what's the gospel? What would you say? I want to give you a very simple way to share the gospel. And obviously it goes deeper and more profound than what I'm going to share, but this is a good simple way for us to begin understanding what the gospel is. So five words, God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom. That's the gospel in five words. God, man, Jesus, me, kingdom kingdom. 
So what does that mean? Well, God, he created all of us. It's all about creation. He, in his infinite love for us, made us in his image. But then man, starting with Adam, all have sinned. And that sin is a rebellion against God. It separated us away from him in relationship with him, and it sentenced us to death. This is the rebellion. But then Jesus came and brought the redemption. Jesus, in the greatest act of love ever in human history, took the place of, of death on the cross. He took our death upon him, took our sin upon him. He paid the penalty for our sin in death for us. And then he proved that he was God by rising from the dead. And so this is where we come in, me. I got to own this. Do I believe this? Do I believe that this, this God story of God and then man sinned, I'm a sinner, but Jesus took care of it on the cross? Then I've got to own this. Am I going to believe this and live for this? And this is where I ask, we call this confession. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I confess them and I commit to following Jesus for the rest of my life. And what happens there? See, it doesn't stop there. Now I step into the kingdom of God. It's important that I understand this. I want to live a life of submission to King Jesus who loves me so much that he gave his life for me so it is worth giving my life to him. It is worth walking in submission to him. But I'm a part of his kingdom now. I can experience his presence and his power every single day of my life. And that's cool. And my mission is to announce in advance his kingdom until he comes back. Or I enter his presence, whichever comes first, right? So that, in a nutshell, is what the kingdom gospel is, just in very simple terms. And if you are new to Bell Road Church, or maybe you've never been to our Discover BRC class, we got one coming up next week, actually. It's next Sunday. Uh, on your Connect card, let us know if you're interested. Hey, I'd like to get to know Bell Road Church a little bit more. I'd like to hear more about what you guys believe, how to get involved. It is a great class, and we're looking to do an online option as well, both in person and online. That is in the digital program for today, which you know is in your that QR code. You can scan that QR code information about that. But let us know on that on your Connect card. The Connect card is also on the digital program. You can click that link there. Let us know. I'd like to be a part of Discover BRC next week and just learn more about how to get connected into Bell Road Church and how to keep growing. All right, let's bring this home. Ready? You still with me? Yeah. Ah, here it is. Paul ends here just reminding us and giving us a sense of hope. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is our hope. This is a promise that we can take a hold of. We know Jesus will return, and he will fully establish his kingdom here on earth. And we eagerly await that and anticipate that. And when he does, Paul has given us a clue as to how we're going to live in that kingdom. This is really cool. He's saying your body is going to be transformed into the glorious body, just like Jesus had his glorious body after he rose from the dead. So it's given us a really good clue as to what will I be like in heaven? I'm not going to be some spirit floating around for eternity. I'm not going to be an angel in the clouds playing a harp just floating around for eternity. I will have a body, a physical body. When Jesus rose from the dead, he walked up to the disciples. He said, hey, guys, touch my body. See, look at the scars. Touch my side. He had a physical body that they could touch. And he even ate food with them. You and I will have a physical, glorious body. It will be 
perfect. You will be in shape. You can eat anything. Calories will not matter. It will be awesome. You will never die. It's going to be a good body. It'll be glorious. I love the little, the little teaser that Paul's given us there. It's a little clue as to what heaven will be like. And that's a hope that we have. That's amazing, isn't it? Hmm. What an amazing hope we have in Jesus. So as we bring us to a close here, here's, I just want to throw out this, some next steps for you. What can you and I do in light of this passage? I want to encourage all of us to live as kingdom-minded people. I'm aware of I'm a citizen of heaven. That kingdom of heaven is my, the priority of my life. And what that means, how we live that out, is really you got to pray that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would fill you and empower you every single day. It's living by the Spirit. That's how you really live in the kingdom. Living by the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit to come and fill you, to empower you every single day of your life. But let's live as kingdom-minded people as best as we possibly can. It's good to help people, to serve people, to do good, to whatever vocation and career God has placed you in and called you to. Awesome. You rock that and you do it to the best of your ability. But let's make the focus, the priority of our life, Jesus and his kingdom above everything else. Amen? So that's, that's my challenge for all of us. Kingdom-minded people. We want to, really want to live out this kingdom gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Another good next step would be to uh, join us with Discover BRC. I just mentioned that a few minutes ago, but we got that coming up next week. We'd love for you to come in and join us with that, whether in person, which will provide lunch for you, or online. We, we, we have to provide an online option because COVID. We've got lots of online stuff coming up here, and we'll continue to do Sunday mornings online because that's the season we live in right now, right? 2020. This next one, Celebrate Recovery, we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I would love for people that really need to break free from some habits, some addictions, some hurts in their life to get involved in that. They're going to have a barbecue that, that's going to kick that off. It's kind of like a get to know what this is all about on Friday, August 21st. But with Celebrate Recovery, we're also going to provide an online option as well for those who would like to be a part of it but need to do it online. We, we're looking at doing that. And, and the last thing I'll say, and this is the first time I'm mentioning this, this will be a next step for the rest of us. Some of us need to get into Celebrate Recovery. For the rest of us, I'd love all of us to be in our Disciple Maker group this fall. We start it in about five weeks. And I want everybody connected to our church either in Celebrate Recovery or Disciple Maker this fall. That's how passionate I am about this. That's how important I think Disciple Maker is. And we're looking at doing it on Sunday nights, and it's going to be a group that's going to, it's going to be really, really, really good and beneficial for you. That's why we're taking the time and energy to do that through this fall. Again, COVID season. We'll be doing that online as well. But I want you to hear my heart. I want you to grow from this message. I want us to learn from this passage. I want us to hear the warnings of Paul. I want us to be heavenly-minded people, citizens of heaven. Uh, but I do know this, that one sermon is not going to necessarily radically change our life. So that's why I want practical next steps. I want to see you take steps to get involved and put yourself in a place where you can continue to really grow and dig some deeper roots. That's our heart for you. In fact, we'll probably do another post again today how you can even take this message deeper uh, this week. We've been doing that on Facebook last several Sunday nights. But those are my encouragement to you. Take those next steps and let us know on the connect card. 
whether it's the in-person, you guys got that there in your hands, or digitally. Either one works. Just stand to your feet, guys. We're going to take some time. We're going to pray. And here's the goal. Like I said, you and I want to be spirit-led people, spirit-filled people. And so let's make this song just a prayer of our life. God, I want to live a life of faith. It requires no faith to live outside of the kingdom of God. You know that? Last week, I talked about it requires no faith to live in the past either. But to live in the kingdom of God requires faith. Let's be men and women of faith. Men and women who say, Holy Spirit, lead me in all that I do. Let this song become the prayer, the cry of our heart. And I just want to pray for us before we sing. Because there might be somebody here that needs to say yes to Jesus and make him your king and step into his kingdom and experience just the the love and the joy that he has for you. Let's pray right now. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you, you just go ahead and pray this prayer with me before we go into this song. Jesus, right now, I recognize I need you. I ask you right now to forgive me of my sins that you would, by your spirit, come into my life, make me a new person. I want to follow you and commit to to serving you for the rest of my, my life. Holy Spirit, fill me right now and empower me right now to love and to follow you the best that I can. In Jesus' name I pray. again for listening to this message of Bell Road Church. We hope you enjoyed it and that God spoke to you through it. Be sure to connect with us online via Twitter, Facebook, and at bellroadchurch.com.